Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live, coming to you from the studios here at Grace FM, Outreach Ministry of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Grateful that you are with us. Give me a call, 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000 is the number. Taking your calls and your questions you can do that also via text. <clears throat> we have a dedicated texting line, 720-336-0897. And we're taking your calls. Everyone listening on Freedom FM, Truth FM, Hope FM, Grace FM, whatever station you're listening to us or online, uh, go ahead. Give me a call. Uh, let's talk. Uh, let's pray. Let's be encouraged in the things of the Lord. I want to invite you to our services tonight. We have midweek Bible study. It's so valuable, so important. We start a brand new book of the Bible. We're going to be in the book of Jude. We're calling the series Let's Fight. And what a phrase uh, that is. And we'll get into that of what that means biblically and uh, not necessarily how some people are using it. Uh, it's definitely biblically. You may be surprised by what you hear uh, in the some pulpits today around the world, and what the Bible actually has to say. So uh, we're going to be going through the book of Jude for a few weeks. You can join us here in person, of course, if you're in the Denver metro area. Uh, we want you to be here, but you don't have to be in the Denver metro area. You can connect anywhere around the world online. We start at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and we'll be here studying the Word of God, worshiping. We pray together. We have communion together. Uh, we sing together. And we're excited about what the Lord is wanting to do. So give me a call, 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000 is the number. Taking your calls, taking your questions, ready to be used of the Lord this afternoon and just all that God is doing, all that God wants to do, uh, and how he wants to use today's program uh, as a way to encourage you and strengthen you in the Lord. My name is Ed Taylor. I'm the pastor here uh, at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. And we are a Calvary Chapel. And we I was saved in a Calvary Chapel. I was discipled in a Calvary Chapel. And now I have the privilege of being here in Colorado for 21. This December actually will be 22 years 22 years. We got here in uh, our first Sunday service <clears throat> is was December 26th, 1999. And we will have services this year on December 26th. Uh, and that'll be twenty that'll be literally 22 years since we started. Isn't that amazing? 303 
303-690-3000. Up to Loveland, Colorado. Dan, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. So I, I have a two-part question, basically. Um, okay. I would like to know if there's a particular way you approach things that only happen in one place in the Bible or okay. or Scripture, that verses that are not cooperated anywhere else in the Bible. And okay. as far as I know, as far as I've been able to just to find out, uh, the example of that would be in Matthew. And I think it's around 27 or 28, where uh-huh. he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And Matthew also states that many other well-known religious leaders were resurrected as well and seen in town. And I'd like to get your take on that and and maybe your take on how you approach things that only happen in one place. Okay, so let me ask you a question, uh, because that my answer is going to sound profoundly simple, but before I get to that, why does it trouble you uh, that something's mentioned only once uh, in the Bible or only one occurrence? Why? What, what is the essence of that's troubling you? Um, I don't know that it's troubling me more or so that it uh, isn't there's something in the Bible that says it's two or more people to make it true. That there is, there is. Um, it starts back in the Old Testament in terms of testimony, how valuable testimony in that by two or three witnesses let a thing be established. Uh, so you certainly have, you you certainly have the opportunity to see greater uh, testimony to a particular act or an action by two or three witnesses. Even you know it gets translated. That principle gets translated into the new covenant. Uh, where you have uh, an accusation against an elder, you can't have one except by two or three witnesses. However, when when we're reading the scriptures, we have a different principle at play, right? That the principle at play in the Bible is that all scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, instruction, you know, correction, um, and I forget the fourth one right now, but all scripture is profitable. So whether something's mentioned once. For example, let's pause here for a second, and let's go over to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. That is mentioned one time in the Bible. Uh, I, I mean, I could go on with things that are mentioned. The, 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 the conversion of Saul is mentioned three times, but the other two times are his testimony, right? His, the way he says it. Um, but the actual event is only mentioned one time. Um, so the way that I handle things that are mentioned one time is I accept them as fact. Um, it's in the scriptures, uh, and perhaps you're referring to verse 51 of chapter 27 in Matthew, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two top to bottom, the earthquake, the rock split graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised coming out of the graves after his resurrection. They went into the Holy city and appeared to many. What I'm and so how do I handle a text like that? I accept it as it is. And I believe it happened because Matthew was inspired of the, of, of the Holy Spirit to write down his account that was written primarily to Jewish people. It was written to a Jewish audience. And it's a it's a wild, it's definitely a wild 
um, testimony of what happened uh, for sure. Uh, but how do I handle those things that are only mentioned once? I accept them uh, and I accept them as, as much as anything be mentioned more than once. Um, I think of, you know, think of uh, the parable of the prodigal son that's only mentioned once um, that I can recall. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things in the Gospels off the top of my head. Um, But I think what's most important is uh, what is troubling. You know, why why is one mention troubling to you? I I don't think it is, to be honest with you. It doesn't. Okay. I just... Uh, and I appreciate your your outlook on it. You pointed out some very valid stuff. Uh, I don't. I, I'm not troubled by it okay. because it was only mentioned once. But I was kind of hoping to learn more about that particular. Oh, yeah. And I just couldn't find it mentioned anywhere. So, and I don't know. There could be a concordance or a study somewhere that expounds on it. But I haven't found that. So. No, you're right. It's only mentioned once. I'm looking at the the synoptic. You know, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered synoptic gospels, Correct. and what that means is they're generally giving you uh, different viewpoints of the same events. Right. Uh, they go together. John, of course, is out on its own, and there's a lot of one timers in John because he had a different goal and a different audience. Uh, that together you have, you know, again, even thinking. You know, thinking uh, back at the end of the Gospel of John, what does he say? As John closes his letter, what does he say? He says, um, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and know that his testimony is true. And there were many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Uh, and and so was I, I went I went back just to I'm I'm trying to talk and type at the same time uh, and so I'm going back and I'm looking in Mark's gospel. Mark mentions the veil being um, torn, and Luke in Luke 23 um, he mentioned the centurion is mentioned. I think um, same with Mark the centurion is mentioned. And so the centurions mentioned all three, the veils mentioned in two, uh, and the saints, this resurrection of bodies, you know, really wasn't uh, necessarily a resurrection as much as it was a resuscitation, right? They're, they're going to die again. Jesus is the first fruits of the true resurrection, and he won't die again after the resurrection. Um, but um, when, you, when you're coming to, um, when you're coming to passages, Sometimes things are um, are are included there that arrest our attention, but also give credence to the people that were reading it when when it was written. So that what that means is is there were witnesses to these resurrections. So so that let's just say let's put ourselves um, here's another thought that just came to me. Let's say that you and I, Dan and I, we're living in the first century and we're living on the other side of Jerusalem and we hear, oh, Jesus was resurrected and, and many other people uh, also came out of their graves and walked around Jerusalem. And we're like, Dan, did you see anybody? And Dan says, no, bro, what is that all about? And I'm like, I didn't see a bunch of liars. Then we go into the city and what happens? We meet witness after witness after witness that says, no, 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 no. No, no, this happened. I saw. As a matter of fact, there's a guy right over there. There he is. 
you know, kind of like Lazarus, right? Lazarus, again, was brought back from the dead, and he was a witness. You know, there were witnesses to his life, and you're like, there he is right there. Go talk to him yourself. So for the people in the first century, there could be either, you know, and I don't know uh, how long they stayed alive. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I do know this. There were witnesses, people that saw this take place, that would lead more credibility to the testimony of truthfulness in that time period uh, than what you and I would be able to see 2,000 years later. And I guess, you know, speaking of John and one-timers, we take his word for it that he's a pretty fast runner. (laughs) He's the first one to the doom. Yeah, and we also take, you know, we, if you, the question is such a profound question that you ask that if you really think about it, most of the Bible is one-timers. I mean, it's, it, it's sort of like you and I, you, you, uh, for example, I know it's simple and it's definitely not biblical, but here you are, you said your name's Dan, so I believe you. You say you're from Loveland, I believe you. Um, it's only one statement you told me, but there's a, a relationship that we have that says, yeah, I believe you're Dan from Loveland, and um, you only told me once. True, very true. That's a good perspective. Yeah, great question. It made me think out loud. I like thinking out loud. Sometimes I might go off in different directions, but I love the I love to be able to talk it out uh, and see where we end up. So that yeah, that uh, most of the Bible is a one time statement. Well, I appreciate your time. I really do. All right, God bless you, brother. <laughs> bless you. Bye bye. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand is the number. Taking your calls and your questions, and we just have you know some really um, encouraging um, questions that we get to be a part of, and you can call in with prayer requests. What's going on in your life anywhere around the country? Uh, if you're listening to this show anywhere but Grace FM, you're listening to a show that's right now one week delayed. Although we are working on some. We are working. I have a book that keeps falling. I'm sorry. I moved it now. Uh, we we have <clears throat> we have uh, we're working on technology that can bring it live, uh, and so pray for us as we have a phone call tomorrow, and uh, we've got some some things that we we're going to be working on toward bringing it live, so that you can be live on your local station. Uh, but until then, we're you can call anytime the show is on. We'll take your call. It'll be live to everyone listening on Grace FM or online, and then you'll get to hear it on your state on your station next week, which is kind of cool. 303-690-3000. We're going to head to Denver, Colorado. Is it Masasa? Hi, Pastor Ed. Yes, it is. I actually okay, uh, welcome go to, the program. to Calvary Aurora. So, um, right on. I am, it's my first time calling in. Okay, um, great. What can I do for you? Well, thank you for, by the way, quoting one of my favorite quotes, which is... Um, at the end of John 25, I find mm. that so beautiful and poetic, yes. um, just about all the books that we wouldn't have yes. room that could be written. I just love how it's worded. Um, but my question is in Matthew chapter 9, and it is uh, specifically uh, line 30, and yes. I had a question after Jesus heals the two blind men. Yes. Why does he say, see, that no one knows about this, when preceding to that he did other miracles publicly? So I didn't know what was singled out about the blind men. Well, there's a couple of, there's a couple of things at work here. 
Uh, one is the timing of Jesus heading to the cross. He is on a specific time frame. And when you are, I think you're in Mark, I think you're referring to Mark chapter 9, uh, and in verse 30, it's it speaks of, let me get there, Mark 9, 30. He says, Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. And so the there were times when Jesus um, allowed those to go. He would send them home. He would send somebody who was healed to the priests. Um, and there were other times when he said, no, I don't want you to say anyone. Um, I, I don't want you to tell anybody. I want you to keep it to yourself, which uh, most of the time when somebody told that, they didn't, um, you know, they didn't follow it. And for the blind man, you know, if you scroll back up from the blind man, uh, it says in uh, verse 24, <clears throat> uh, deaf and numb. Uh, then they departed from their past. Okay, so so basically it all goes down. Um, Jesus steps in after the disciples couldn't help. And I believe that this hesitancy, or not hesitancy, but this command was consistent with the timing of the Lord. You still got about, I think, time frame in this section. He still has about six months before he gets to the cross. Uh, and if you scroll back up in... Came, comes down from the mountain. Um, even um, back in the transfiguration, when they come down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one these things till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And then down with the blind, uh, the the blind uh, man being healed as well. Now you have the 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 command not to tell anyone. It's because Jesus is on a specific time frame, and he wants them to follow his timing and not stir up the crowd. Obviously, nothing's going to thwart the the will of God, but Jesus still wants to show that he's in control of the situation, that he willingly gives his life, that he's headed to the cross, that nobody's making him, and it's completely on the timetable that the Father has set and not for the people that are going to pressure him around him. Even though that all happens in the human realm, um, it all happens. But the reality of of this situation, I think, is exactly what you're referring to. Like, hey, don't don't do this. And I'm looking, so I'm reading through, and I don't see um, the the question. Uh, it was a couple the, of weeks ago. You were talking about acts and how acts. Um, we really don't know the timeline of it. It makes it seem like all everything happens in an instant, and it really isn't. Um, and this kind of reminds me of that. Because prior to that is the woman that had the blood issue for 12 years that touches his cloak, and he says, who touched my cloak, and your faith has healed you. And then right after that, which I'm sure it's not like five minutes later, um, he says, um, uh, your, your girl is not dead but asleep to another person that asked for him to heal. And in that, he's surrounded by a crowd. So people are witnessing the touching of the cloak and, and his saying that your daughter is not dead but rather asleep. But there's something about the two blind men, which it's written right after it. It may not be obviously the same day, that to them he says, see that no one knows about this. So I think I might have the wrong text. What te- Are you talking about Mark chapter 9? Oh, Matthew 9. 
Matthew 9. Okay. Uh, because I have on... Ah, uh, see, I read this call screen wrong. It's all on me. Uh, let me get back to Matthew 9. I was in Mark 9, and I'm following along, and even verse 30 has a statement about not fa- not telling anyone, uh, but it, I'm, I'm like, I can't find the blind man. I can't, I don't see, I, I can't see what she's referring to. So let me get over real quick to Matthew 9, and I will be with you. So Matthew 9, uh, we'll go to 30 uh, and read that, see that no one knows it. Um, do you believe I'm able to do this? Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be. See that no one knows it. And when they departed, they spread. So they, that, that's exactly so. This is exactly what I was thinking. He tells them not to tell anyone and they do anyway. Uh, the news spread about him all in that country. Um, and I'm sure the news spread directly specific to this healing. Uh, and, and so, you know, he's on a, he, like, like I had mentioned, it still applies in the sense that he is on a mission with a precise timetable and you know it's a it's it's even prophetically significant right because the day that he enters into jerusalem starts a prophetic time clock that's connected even back into daniel uh and daniel chapter 9 and so the the day that they he arrives when you connect it back with chapter 9 of daniel you know the the spiritual leaders of the day should have known the day he even tells them they should have known the day so he's got that precise time period and he wants he wants to be able to continue to minister i believe also unhindered because the crowds were just just pressing in upon them um pressing in upon him and then it's going to draw the more opposition from the spiritual leaders so I, I that my view of him not telling him giving that request of not saying anything is to keep him very focused uh, and on the precise timetable of the Father. What I was thinking, because the other two, the woman who had the issue of blood that touched his cloak, and then the other one that he said she's not uh, dead but asleep, those were, they're clearly public. Um, yes. So I was I was curious as to why the shifting where he said, tell no one about this, is it because people were becoming too mob-like with him and touch me, heal me, and that sort of thing, or um, what what... Was it? Is there even something poetic about the fact that there are uh, two blind men that were healed? Is there something about the blindness and now they can see and um, see that no one knows about this? It's because, you know, is there a reason why that particular type of healing, he says, to not tell? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, have, I haven't studied that, that angle of it, but that might be something that's worth uh, digging into and seeing if there is an angle to that, but I think you know we have in the in the Gospel of John he heals a blind um, a, a blind boy much earlier in his ministry. So the healing of blind of the blind happens very early in the ministry. This is very this is later in his ministry, um, you know, a little bit later on. So that's a good angle to to study the that those kind of questions. You know, the interpretive Bible study method. The observation, interpretation, application method that we use, it's called the inductive Bible study. These kind of questions that develop from the interpretive, once you make observations, then you start asking questions of the text. When you develop them, they actually make for good sermon um, elements because you're asking a question, you're shining the light on one particular aspect that you see, and then what you see, you're forcing yourself to study in various per- perspectives 
that that help to develop. That's why different pastors teach the Bible differently because they see it differently. The Bible is not different, but they see it differently, and it makes for a really good Bible study as you spend some time looking at it. Well, that's why I like uh, Calvary Aurora, so thank you very much. I'm glad you took my question today. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Yep. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. Um, man, it's just such a great question. Thanks for calling today, guys. 303-690-3000. Let's see what we got here. Now we're still in Denver. Nicole, welcome to the program. Hey, Nicole, you're on the air. Uh, Nicole, this is such a great question. Would you um, would you call back? Uh, I would like to talk to you about this, not just answer it blindly. So give us a call back. 303-690-3000. Let's stay in Denver. Raina uh, is on the line. Raina, didn't, um, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Ed. Um, Hi. I go to Aurora Calvary Chapel. Oh, right on. Yeah, and so I had a question. So I'm in high school, and okay. I don't have the best um, of luck of finding believer friends. But mm, usually sorry. when I do find believer friends, um, when it comes to the topic about LGBTQ and um, how God says that it's not okay, the most yes. common response that I get is that um, there was actually a mistranslation. Um, okay from the verses, and that it was mixed up with pedophilia and stuff. And so uh-huh. I am not sure how to answer back to that, because it really kind of like, because I've lost a lot of friends because of, you know, what I believe in, especially yes. in terms of believing that LGBTQ is not right in the eyes of God. And so I was right. wondering how you would approach that. Well, a couple ways, you know, in high school, you've got a lot of uh, developing minds. Um, you're you're one of them as well, and a lot of cultural pressure. Uh, most of most of the language, most of the influence on high school campuses are going to be from our culture, from society, and LGBTQ and this push and emphasis is real popular now. Uh, probably at the highest level in our two hundred years of a nation's history. Uh, do you find that this topic is pushed uh, in in our secular? I take it you go to a public school. Yes, I do. Yeah, so you know the public school system uh, is is completely committed to the secular narrative, and and you're not going to find a lot of people that are going to want to dialogue with, uh, biblically with you and say, well, you know, I know what you say and I know what you feel, and I vow, I res- and, and it's okay to say. It's okay to respond with, you know, I know how you feel and I know what you say and I respect where you are, but I want I would ask you to respect my viewpoint that comes from what I believe is a book that has stood the test of time, the Bible. And the whole narrative of the Bible begins right in Genesis, right? Genesis 1 and 2 give us the foundation of humanity. Um, God creating a man and today we would say that he's genetically DNA male and a genetically DNA female, Eve. They come together in marriage uh, and they, cre- they procreate children. 
that will continue to be born genetically male, genetically female. As a matter of fact, for those that that would go through with surgery or changing the, the way they look or identifying as other things, if you took their blood and tested it, it would reveal the real genetic makeup of who they are, um, who they were born. I know they might say, I was born a male, but I feel like I'm a female. Well, I, I respect that you feel that way, but the reality is is your identity is is who you are, not who you think you are. And we, we would say that to anybody. You know, if somebody was saying, oh, I'm so sad, we use the same logic when somebody might say, you know, I'm suicidal, and they have these home overwhelming feelings, and we go, no, 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 you, you are more than your feelings. Let's get through your feelings right now. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you on hold, and I'm going to come on the other side of the uh, other side of the break and give a more specific answer. So hang on. We'll be right back. This is Calvary Live. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back everyone to Calvary Live, second half of the program. It goes by so quick and we're grateful to uh, be on the air with you. Everyone listening on the Grace FM radio network, shout out to you guys on Hope FM, Truth FM, Freedom FM and other FM stations around the country. Thank you. Welcome. This is Calvary Live. We originate here in Aurora, Colorado, Calvary Church. Uh, Grace FM is an outreach here, and so we're grateful. It's always good, before I get back to the phone lines with Rhina, um, it's always good to remind you, please give to this radio station financially. I'm asking you to do that. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you're listening on Grace FM, give to Grace FM. Go to gracefm.com or download our app. Every little bit counts. I encourage you to give uh, financially. It helps pay the bills, keep things going, all kinds of little projects. Like going live on uh, Calvary Live to different stations is going to cost uh, a, an investment of, of thousands of dollars. Um, we're willing to do it, ready to do it, but we're asking you to give support and wherever you're listening to this support local christian radio and i know there's other stations like the music stations k love air one they really don't need the resources trust me they really don't need it they are a multi-million dollar corporation whereas these bible teaching stations for the most part are church owned especially the ones you're listening to calvary live on they are church owned church run they're run as ministries and they all, we all have bills and electricity, you know, especially even the full power stations. There's, you know, the electricity bill on one of our stations, Grace FM, it's an 80,000 watt. Now we don't run it at that, you know, the bill, the, the, um, kilowatts doesn't get run out at 80, 80,000. I don't know how they, how it gets all multiplied with the transmitter and everything. There's all, but it's pretty significant. It's a huge electric bill that we get and rent and, um, royalties and hardware and engineers and Kevin and Joshua and um you know so it's it's really cool to be able to do it and the Lord will provide and one of the ways that God provides is through you faithful listeners so please go to your whatever station you're listening to go to their website um and give financially every little bit don't think any anything's insignificant and don't think any gift is too large uh, it will be given, like if you give to Grace FM, it's going to go to the church. It's This is run out of the church. It's a church station, and it's uh, going to go right into Calvary Church, and it will be segregated 
to within a line item that says Grace FM. So thank you for your faithfulness, uh, and it helps support stations like um, shows like this. Uh, so let's get back to the phone lines. Rina, are you still with us? Yeah, I am. So, you know, part of my answer already, it's challenging, right? Because by the time I finish talking, the other person's going to be mad at me. They're not going to listen to me. Uh, they're going to make fun of me or, or you uh, because they're, they're the, the kind of conversation that many, not everyone, but many that are adhering to this new LGBTQ um, uh, belief system, doesn't, they don't want to talk about it. They, they, don't want, they just want to tell you what they believe, and they don't really care what you believe. But for the ones that do care, you want to be able to articulate very clearly, this is what the Bible says. On more than one occasion homosexual sin is condemned in the Bible. Uh, and it's condemned just like adultery is, just like sexual sin of, of inside marriage, which is adultery, sexual sin outside of marriage, which is the Bible word fornication. Um, all of those are condemned by God. So none of us uh, can, partic- can use sex in a different way than what God intended. Um, and so... The, the specific questions, you know, let's just say they come to you and say, well, you know, it's just a mistranslation of the Bible. And, and then so you take out your backpack and you take your Bible out and you say, can you show me which word was mistranslated? And I'll, I'll study it for you. And you know what they'll do? Um, they, I mean, usually, they, like, the, one of the last friend groups I had, um, the girl inside who was really close to me, she kept on, she couldn't, like, she couldn't show me where it was. She kept on saying, oh, it, it just happened. She she wouldn't tell me where it was. Yeah, I, and that's, that's, so what you're trying to do is you're not wanting to argue, and I get that sense in your personality. You're not an arguer, and that's a good thing. I'm not trying to argue with them. I'm not trying to belittle them. I'm not trying to talk them out of their viewpoint but if they want to talk to me and they want to say that something that I know is untrue then they have to prove it to me um, and that doesn't really help much because you know now now it all ends well I don't know and it doesn't matter because you're just wrong and they start name calling or whatever um, but if I have someone in my life and they really want to talk about it then I'm willing to talk about it and I'm willing to look up a word for them. I, I did a Bible study. So what I want you to do, Ryan, is I want you to email me. And I did a Bible study on this because sometimes the argument is, well, you know, the Bible condemns homosexuality and it also says you can't eat shrimp. Um, and so I guess I'm sinning if I eat shrimp. And I, I actually explained that in the Bible study that I did, that there's a difference in the Bible between ceremonial law and moral law. Um, and that's probably a little heady for your high school friends, but at least you'll know, at least you'll understand that when we're reading the scriptures, there's there's differences and distinctions, and the words are not mistranslated. Um, as a matter of fact, using the using what Paul writes in the to the Corinthian church when he condemns homosexuality, um, he condemns both sides both participants. Um, that's the way he uses the Greek language in that day. And believe me, um, the people listening at the time knew exactly what he was talking about. But today we have a culture that says, no, Christians don't know what they're talking about. They're wrong. Uh, they don't, they don't, the Bible's not true. And, 
And it's an argument unless you can befriend them. And that's why I think respecting, uh, being kind to them. You know, I, I probably wouldn't hang out with them if I was in high school. But I also wouldn't abandon my friends just over a an argument or something. I'd stay available to them. I'd stay available if they have questions. I'd stay available if they really want to talk about it. Um, but but I can send you, if you email me, I can send you quite a bit of stuff to read, to learn, to grow, so that you can be prepared for these conversations. All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Ed. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure, especially in high school, because right now, like, I'm in a friend group, and I feel like I should slowly start distancing excuse me, myself from them, because... Um, they, like all the, most of the people that I talk with right now, like one of the girls that I was telling you earlier about, she, they were all trying to pressure me into not being straight or whatever. They were always like, oh, you, it's not cool. It's not fun. You should be like us. And also, um, one of my friends, this is a prayer request. So one of my friends, she used to be like really into church and, um, like, she used to be really godly, and then it kind of, it's it's super sad to me because she started hanging out with the wrong crowd, and now she just, she's, she just, I just feel like she's not really close with God at all, and and I, it's, it's really painful for me because I, like, I, I kind of looked up to her, and so after she fell back, I'm like, who else is out there like me? Yeah, I think that it's it's super challenging for you right now. I, I remember we had our own pressures. You know, I've been it's been thirty years since I've been in high school, but we had our own pressures. Uh, we had, and and I didn't live as a believer back then, so I was part of the problem of of living in sin, and and it caused me a lot of pain. And and so I commend you for taking a stand for your faith, taking a stand. And it, and here's the thing: this is the thing that's going to be super hard, um, and that is knowing that as you take a stand for what you believe, most people aren't going to agree with you or like you. And that's hard. But I do know this. Most of your friendships come, most of your real friendships will come after high school. Most After you guys are done with high school, everyone's going to split up and go all in their different ways. It's hard to believe that now because you live every day with them. Um, But, you know, most most of the people in high school right now, um, you won't, stay connected with them. You will stay connected with a few, but you won't stay connected with them. So really when you're looking to maximize your high school years, hey, put your nose in the book, study really hard, get good grades, interact with the people that you can interact with lovingly and with great care, planting seeds, watering seeds, but knowing kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of all those people in Babylon only three. They were only three people with among thousands of people. There were only three that stood together, and the Lord will bring the right people into your life. Um, and you know, some of these gout, some of your friends are going to change their mind. I, I, I'm, I'm confident of that. It's a very confusing topic, and it because it's the popular topic right now. Because it's the again, like culturally and all, all throughout TikTok and. And, and and whatever new gadgets and apps you guys are using right now, um, it's just the way to go. Um, but but it, it many of them will change their mind. You, you for sure. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Pastor Ed. I really appreciate it. My parents What's... say usually say the same things, like just study hard right now, get good grades, <laughs> and God will put the right people in your life at the right time. So I should just email you, right? Yeah, email me. I'll send you some links, some some things that will help educate you on this and just kind of prepare you because I do think you're in a unique position. Um, I do think you do have influence in their lives. And and so to the degree that, that you allow it, I don't think you need to be arguing with them about it all the time. I don't think you need to be defending yourself all the time. It'll just get tiring. They'll start calling you names. Your feelings will really get hurt. You don't have to go through that all the time. However, for the people that you do, for the people that are willing, you know, for the friends that, uh, and it doesn't always have to be the topic, right? You could talk about other things uh, and be that witness of Christ where, you know, maybe one day you go, you know what, can we just talk about something else? Let me tell you about what I've been going through. Let me tell you about what I learned. Let me tell you about a show I want. It's like, like you could even change the topic uh, where it doesn't have to be that all the time. So let's pray for your friend, Lord. I pray, Father, for Rina, first of all, that you would continue to strengthen and establish her and and even as parents are listening in and grandparents and other high schoolers and junior hires, you can hear how hard it is in the world today to be a light. It's one thing to talk about it and even teach it, but it's challenging. It's not the same as hanging out with Christian kids. So I pray for Rhina that you would strengthen her, establish her, and, and help her, Lord, as she focuses on what's important, uh, focuses on being prepared to enter into this world, focus herself upon you, Um, that she will be able to grow and be overwhelmed by a sense of your presence and your love for her. And I pray for her friend and some of the people she's surrounded with that are a little confused, maybe a little militant, even those that were trying to convince her otherwise. Um, I pray that you would turn her heart back towards you, God, uh, truly, and uh, help help these young people with their identity, their true identity, where they know who they are because you've created them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you once again, Pastor Ed. I'm going to hang up now. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. 303-690-3000. Again, for those of you listening, like this is such a great conversation for you to sit in on and listen to. One of the values of this show is not simply the Bible answers, but the kind of conversations that we have because it will equip you in, first of all, if you have a teenager in your house, you know this is what they're dealing with in their face. And rejection is hard. To lose friends over this topic is hard. You can see that this is not a political statement. This is not, I can't believe we don't have God in our schools anymore. That, that isn't, that, that's not the issue. You know, if you put prayer back in school, it's not going to solve this. What is solving this is to have Rhina in school, supported and encouraged by her parents, encouraged by her youth group, encouraged by the Christians around her, focused on education, being prepared to launch off into the world, but to be able to 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 listen. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the culture shifted a long time in our country when they removed the when they removed prayer and they removed the Bible. Yes. But it's not coming back in. Um, this this culture has rejected God. The fool has said in their heart, there is no God. That's our culture. And Rhino's caught in the middle. This is why we need a biblical answer 
to very real life questions. I think it was Greg Laurie that said that pastors make a grave error, uh, and I'm paraphrasing. I'm sure he said it better than me, but I'm paraphrasing how I remember it, but it stuck with me and I've adopted it. He said that pastors make a grave error when we always are answering questions in our Bible studies that nobody is, we're answering questions that nobody is asking. And we really need to understand, like you pastors listening in right now to hear Rhina, you you incorporate her thinking into your next Bible study. Or remember when you're putting a Bible study together, remember the single mom. Remember the married couple that have been married 50 years or the newlyweds. Remember the singles. Remember those that are struggling. Uh, and let the Holy Spirit give you word, a rhema, prophetic word to answer in due season. And there are Bible answers to everything Rhina's dealing with on campus uh, and equip her and strengthen her. But now how do we help her communicate? How do we help her stay close to her friends without being influenced by them? Um, and, you know, when do you just avoid foolish and ignorant disputes that lead to nothing? And just put your nose in the book and study and, and develop friendships in places that are not going to have that pressure um, to be involved in sinful activity. Um, even the Proverbs talks about that. Remember when, <clears throat> when Proverbs when Solomon was telling me, hey, when they, when, my son, when they entice you to go, don't, don't go. Don't go. All right, let's come back to Centennial, uh, Colorado. Lynn on line one, welcome to the program. Yes, hi, Pastor Ed. Thank you so much hi. for taking my call. Um, You're welcome. You know, just listening to Rhina, I, my heart just broke. I, mm. It's just sad. Um, because I can, yeah, I can relate, but on an, on a, on a different, um, from a different perspective as a grandparent to a granddaughter yes, who yes. is 12 going on 13 and has mm-hmm. shared with us that she's bisexual Yes, and, but she still likes boys and, um, but she's, you know, upset and hurt that her other set of grandparents are not accepting her choice. Um, her other set of grandparents are Catholics, and you yes. know they're. It's an abomination. It's this, and and you know she of course turns to me for my um, my perspective and take on things. And I and the first thing I said to her was, "I love you, I love you, and you are very young." And I think that that type of decision, um, you know, you've got a lot going on in your life. You've got. You're still young. There's hormones at play. And, you know, I lean towards, you know, that, you know, God does not approve of a man laying with a man and a woman with a woman. Uh, The Bible is very specific about it. But to say that to a 12-year-old, it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, how do they, you know, it's just kind of the blank stare kind of thing. But just letting her know that I love her and, you know, that, you know, I think things, you know, she'll change her perspective. But I think in the back of her mind, you know, it's these, these the pressure that children are going through and, you know, whatever they're looking at nowadays and their friends saying yes to them. And I, I just, how, as a grandparent, can one even address something like that, especially with somebody so young? And I fear that I've done it the wrong way. If that makes sense. Well, it, it's a it's a hard conversation, and it, and it's awkward, and it's 
I think you bring out another nuance here that's super, super important for you parents that are listening in, you grandparents that are listening in, and that is kids are talking about very mature adult topics at a very young age, um, where in our generation, and speaking of me, I'm in my 50s, uh, we were introduced to things maybe at, I mean, I, I remember being introduced to things at sixth grade, seventh grade. That's only because I was living in the world. Um, but I, I find that even the, the education system is introducing really difficult, confusing things at a young age. You know, if you follow things going on in California, the kind of curriculum that they're adopting in California is just outrageous. Um, but that is our secular system. And so you listen to a 12-year-old and you go, oh, and you do need to remember she's a child, and that's true. At the same time, we need to discern and draw out. The Bible talks about counsel being like a deep well, and the wise person draw draws it out. And we want to draw out what's going on in her heart, how how much she really believes this, how much she really adopts this. Is it just surface language? Is it really attraction? And what's the difference with attraction? You know, because the idea that you a, a girl looks at another girl and says, "Oh, she's cute." There's nothing new about that. That's always been with us. Or a man looking at a man and going, "Man, that guy is handsome." Well, well that that's there's a normalcy to that. You're just looking at someone and you're making a judgment on attraction uh, or uh, identification of of human beauty or preferences, but then. How do we teach a young woman or a young man how to deal with those emotions? And I think you did a really good thing affirming your love, affirming your presence, affirming your care, um, help, you know, again, helping with hormones and everything that probably didn't, that probably didn't sink very deep, but it was good to share um, that she's going to change her mind a lot in the future. Um, And, you know, factoring in, well, you know, the um, honey, do you believe in the Bible? You know, we, we've, We've raised you on the Bible. Um, this is how this is the I, this is how we have chosen to live our life. Do you make the same choice? Have you also made the choice to let the Creator, your Creator, you know, talking to her to draw out these things um, because it's a long term. This isn't this. You know, we as parents. I know I made this mistake so many times in my own kids' lives where I just think one conversation is going to change their mind or I'm going to convince them. You know, when they're five years old and you go, go to your room, um, that's wrong. The five-year-old response is, yes, mom, yes, mom. But by seven, eight, nine, ten, they say, yes, mom. But inside, they're rebellious. In, they say yes outside, but inside, they're plotting their next sin. And as parents, we, we need to help raise and grow our kids but also realize that there comes a time when influence takes precedent over discipline or not necessarily discipline because we'll always be disciplining, but takes precedence over just declaring and uh, for, you know forcefully as the parent authority saying this is wrong and expecting them to agree with it. We need to help explain. We need to pray with them. Um, we need to do this within an environment of reading the Bible together as a family, praying together as a family. And most of, the, most of the kids that we're looking at, like this is not, they might be a Christian family, they might even go to church together, but they're not living it out in home. And 
having an environment, because even living out in a home, this stuff's going to happen, but the environment will be different because we have a frame of reference to, to really help navigate and help them through this. And like Rhina, you should email me. I'll give you some resources that you can just start feeding yourself to equip you and help you explain what a biblical sexuality is at any age. Yes, that would be helpful. I mean, I know that I did ask her, you know, you know, do you, do you believe in God? I mean, do you, you know, when I mentioned the scripture and she, um, she said, I, I believe, but a lot of my friends don't, they're atheists. And it was just odd to me that, you know, at such a young age, like I, I just, to your point, Pastor Ed, I, I, at 12, I was thinking, what was I doing at 12? I think I was outside playing, running around the block on my skateboard or bike, and life was great. And, you know, kids nowadays, it's not, it's just not that way anymore. And there's just so many outside influences. And it's just, you know, boy, I pray for society. And I, uh, you know, I think, you know, if I had a friend like Ryan, Rhina in high school, um, I think life would have been grand. Um, <laughs> I but I, I really, I really do feel for her. And it just really broke my heart to hear, you know, what she's well, going through. So, And I do think it's good to be reminded, too, as we wind down the show, that we, uh, I can speak for myself, um, you know, I got into a lot of trouble. I made a lot of sinful decisions. My family, you know, they were very moral, so I didn't learn that kind of sinful behaviors from my family. I basically lived on the streets. I was a, I was a, I mean, I lived in a house, but I, I lit, my parents both worked so I could just go out and do my own thing, hang out with whoever I wanted to hang out with. And I got in a lot of trouble. I caused a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty, but God still reached me. And of course, we don't want our kids to experience pain. We don't want them to become prodigals. We don't want them to, to go down this road of, of all this confusion with sexuality. But if they do, we can trust that God has a line right into their hearts, even their hardened hearts. And what we want to do is maintain a relationship with them so that God could even use us to influence them, uh, to speak to them, to help them through these confusing thoughts. And again, that verse, it just, I love this verse. It says, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And we want to get below the surface because this, 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 I would say just the way you described it with your 12 year old, it is a surface thing right now. It's surface. Um, And if I can get below her friends influencing her and I can get below the thoughts and the the videos she's been watching and the the even the attraction even if she sees yeah there's another girl uh, that's pretty to me or whatever get below that to go well what's the heart of the matter what do you what, what what's again you can't even use these words so I just to me I just like getting somebody talking because the more they talk the more I learn about them and right. so the more you can talk to her the more you'll learn about her the more you'll learn how to pray for her. And the more available you will be in your agape love um, where, you know, you can draw the line. And I know you have, but we don't always have to talk about the line that we've drawn. Like, this is where she's at. You're not going to, and I'm not speaking to you particularly because I think you know this, but in general, you know, this is where they're at. You're not going to convince them in a conversation overnight, but you can convince them of where you stand. You can show them love and you can draw the line 
when it's necessary. But otherwise, I'm going to talk to my granddaughter. I'm going to talk to her for who she, who she is. I'm going to talk to her about the fullness of her life, not just this part of her life. And and if I was in your shoes, if I had that, if I had the privilege of being a part of my grandchild's life, then I would just be available. I'd be I'd continue to show love and care and concern and try to make the best environment biblically for that young man or for you, that young woman, to really love God and receive his love um, in return. Yes. Thank you, Pastor Ed. So I think you did just fine. And you're, you know, you, you did just fine, even though you feel like, man, I don't think I made any difference. Uh, you made a lot right. of difference. There's something special about that grandparent relationship. God created it. God created the grandparent. And even if people, you know, try to dismiss it or undermine it or even exclude it, it, it it'll never happen. You will always be her grandma and you will always be precious and special to her. She'll go, come to you a lot. Uh, trust me. Well, I hope so, for sure. <laughs> All righty. We got to go. All right. Thank you again, All Pastor right. Ed. Bye-bye. Yes, just so much, guys. I, I'm so glad you joined me. We're going to be at church tonight, 7 o'clock, Mountain Standard Time. Uh, Lord, pray for these. I pray for these kids, that you would help us to love them and care for them. I pray for parents. Pray for grandparents that have the privilege of influencing their grandkids. May they do it as unto you, Lord, with great love. Email me, ed at edtaylor.org, if you want information on these topics. Um, I've got some resources ready, just some links I can send you right away. Ed at edtaylor.org, T-A-Y-L-O-R dot O-R-G. We'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless you guys. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.